0: Father, thank you for today, thank you for a chance to come and hear your word, read, to sing, to pray, encourage one another, to weep together, to help one another, to listen to each other, and to, most of all, Father, hear from you in your word. We pray now that as we hear your word preached, that it would have full effect on us, that it would not return void, that in all the ways we need to be encouraged, oh God, that you might encourage us in ways that we ought to repent. Father, help us repent. In ways that we ought to move forward in faithfulness, give us strength and encouragement. In ways that we ought to feel sorrow for sin, but we are not, please help us feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit through your word. All this, Father, that we might bring you glory with our lives, and we might give you praise, that you might be honored as holy among the nations where we live. And that by that our own joy would increase. It is our joy that you are glorified. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, first, just let me pick a a personal note just to thank you, church, for caring for our family. Um, Colette was in the hospital last week. As I understand, was communicated to you. And I'm just so grateful for your prayer, for your support, for your presence, for asking, for... Uh, I mean, I could just go on the list, but uh, thank you so much for your love for us. Glad it's here this morning. Uh, purely, I can assure you, by God's grace, and uh, we have, uh, as I was telling a few this morning, we have enough answers to start having more questions uh, as to uh, what's going on and how she's doing. So thank you so much for your, your prayer and support. Today's sermon is entitled, Encouragement for the Church. Encourage Encouragement for the Church. I thought a lot this week about my first sentence. Sometimes I don't think so much about that. This week I've thought a lot about it. I just think the thing that keeps coming to my mind this week as I think about encouragement for the church is that as your pastor, I just can't help but be encouraged. I mean, I just can't even help it but be encouraged. Sometimes over the past years of ministry, even in the past twelve months, past twelve years of ministry, I felt like quitting. And sometimes I have harbored that thought and protected that thought. Sometimes I've been so discouraged, not only discouraged, wanted to be discouraged. And yet just, just keep coming, being unable to stay there. Just can't help but be encouraged. Now church, I pray that that would be your experience today and in the weeks and months to come. I just can't help but be encouraged. There will be times of despondency, times of despair that the church is going to face in our mission to spread the gospel, to make and mature disciples. And as we'll see in the book of Acts, there is encouragement for us, encouragement for us in this. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at various passages in. Acts chapter fifteen through twenty. Acts is broken up in three major movements from the Holy Spirit coming to Jerusalem, and then the Holy Spirit and the message spreading to Jerusalem or to Judea and Samaria, and then the movement of the gospel and the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth in the latter half of the book. In this little section, chapter fifteen through twenty, we get Paul's ministry. This is Paul's missionary journey from the time that he left Jerusalem council in chapter 15 to the time that he came back and was arrested in Jerusalem in chapter 20. And Paul is moving around Asia, visiting churches that he has planted, and also planting new churches. And there are so many recurring themes that I just felt it best in chapters 15 through 20 of Acts that we preach some topical exegetical sermons. Some of you might be hearing some uh, oxymoronish language there. We're going to be following themes in Paul's ministry and in the movement of the church in Acts 15 through 20. So we're not just only going to handle it consequentially. Um, uh, what would be the word I'm looking for? Consecutively, can- whatever you're saying sounds great. Yes, one of those, one of those con in order words, chronologically. Uh, we're going to be handling it thematically in 15 through 20 to kind of pick up some themes on the mission field. That's what you could call this. For the next few weeks, kind we of a mini series of themes on the mission field, as Paul is from going out from Jerusalem until he's arrested in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. Now, we're going to see that one of the major themes for the church that I'm, I'm afraid if we didn't slow down and look at them, look at it as a theme, we might miss it. That the church is regularly encouraged. The church is regularly encouraged. The church is in need of encouragement. And the church is regularly encouraged. Let's think for a minute together, what is encouragement? What is encouragement? You might think that's a dumb question. We all know what encouragement is. And how would you respond? If I asked you, are you encouraged, how would you respond? I think typically we tend to think that our options to answer that question are yes or no. I am encouraged or I am not encouraged. I'm encouraged or no, I'm discouraged. But our response typically to that, if someone just comes and asks you, are you encouraged? Your response should be, encouraged to what? Encouraged to what end? What encouragement about what are you talking about? I think we've often minimized the ideal of encouragement down to whether or not we feel a certain way or not. Just an encouraged feeling, a a general state. That's not the whole concept of what it means to be encouraged. That's not all that it means. And it can be really confusing as we try to understand what discouragement is, and how we might be discouraged, and then diagnose it and what the remedies might be. Encouragement is fresh strength applied to a purpose. Fresh strength will resolve dedication, motivation. Fresh strength Applied to a purpose. That's encouragement. Fresh strength applied to a purpose. And I just want you to look with me at several passages in Acts 15 through 20 and see that there is a regular statement of encouragement in the church happening from Paul's ministry to the churches. Look in Acts chapter 15, verse 30 to 32. Acts 15, 30 to 32. They're being sent out now after the council of Jerusalem when we have decided that the gospel is truly by grace and not by works, by grace and not by the law. That's how we are saved. A group is sent out with that message to go confirm this among the churches. Acts 15, 30 to 32. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, which is actually north, and they've gathered the congregation together and they delivered the letter. We're going to talk about that letter in a minute. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its, say it, encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, what did they do? They encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Look forward to Acts 16.40. Acts 16.40. And this is the chapter, as we'll see in the weeks to come, where Paul is put in a Philippian jail for the sake of the gospel with his partner Silas. They are miraculously released, and at the end of that section, Acts 16, 40, it says, so they went out of the prison, and they visited Lydia, who had become a Christian. Same chapter. And when they had seen the brothers, what did they do? They encouraged them. They paused, they stopped, they encouraged them. And then they left. Acts chapter 18, verses twenty-seven through twenty-eight. Paul's continuing to move around Asia. He wanted to go to the city of Achaia. And when he wished, Acts eighteen, twenty-seven to twenty-eight, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. They encouraged him. They wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he Greatly helped those who through grace believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. One more Acts 20, 1-2. One more Acts 20, 1-2. After trouble in Ephesus. After the uproar ceased. Paul sent for disciples. And after encouraging them. Paul took time to encourage them. That was his purpose. After encouraging them, he said farewell and he departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions, he had given them and had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece. I just want us to stop and see the church is often in need of encouragement and that this is part of Paul's ministry. Part of the reason Paul wanted to go out in the first place, as Megan read for us in our text this morning, what was the purpose? to go and see how they are. I'm going to go back to these churches and I want to see how they are, how they're doing. Encouragement is a biblical, natural, needed part of faithfully following Jesus Christ as His disciple. Let's talk for a minute about dealing with discouragement. Dealing with discouragement. Discouragement leads us in a direction. It's not static in that sense. I remember math class in high school, a junior or senior year of math, and in our, in our class there was a guy named Chris. Chris was brilliant. Chris was, Chris was gifted and talented. He picked up musical instruments and just played them with no lessons. and you It know, kind of got just drives you nuts. Classes were easy for him. They were, they were generally harder for me. One day in math class, Chris and our teacher, uh, Miss Parrish, an uh, older, sweet, gray-haired woman, Miss Parrish, our math teacher, began to get frustrated, and Chris began to push, and she began to get frustrated. And I don't even—I probably didn't even know enough about math to know what they were arguing about. But they were—they were wrestling about the math problem and the answer and how to do it, and they're going back and forth. And Chris kept pushing, and she kept pushing, and finally, all of a sudden, whoosh, Miss Parrish throws turns over her papers, throws them into the air, excuse me, and she just says, "I quit." And she walked out the door. High school math. I feel the struggle. She didn't just feel a certain way, she didn't just feel discouraged. Discouragement and that moment for her, maybe a couple of other emotions as well, led to quitting. Quitting. you like can't get anywhere. I feel like this is stopped. I feel like this isn't going anywhere. It just leads to quitting. Discouragement isn't neutral. Perhaps you were discouraged about your weight loss on a diet. What does that tend to lead to? Two words. Ice cream. Perhaps you were discouraged about your Bible reading plan. What does it lead to? Sleeping in. That's so what discouragement does. It wants to quit or wants to go a different direction. Wants to redirect. Be very, be very, very careful, church, with discouragement. It is not neutral in its direction. It is not passive in its efforts. Discouragement leads first to lowering your standards of faithfulness a little bit. And then unguarded or unchecked, it will eventually lead you to abandon the mission and the purpose altogether. Never think to yourself. I am only a little discouraged. Be very careful about settling with discouragement. I want you to be very careful. You might be sitting there thinking, I am struggling. I am feeling very discouraged. And now, great, I've got to come to church. They want me to feel guilty about being discouraged. That's not the point. It's not good to have a culture where anyone who feels discouraged is seen as weak or... Immature. And you can't tell people that you're discouraged. That's not what we're trying to create here. Quite the opposite in the church. Honestly, one of the, one of the things in the last couple of weeks that has encouraged me is a few conversations I've had where I've said to people, "How are you doing?" They said, "I'm discouraged." It's thankful to hear that. My point is, discouragement has a direction, and it's not wise or good to settle in discouragement, to go, grow comfortable with discouragement. The point is that discouragement will not quit pushing you to quit. Its appetite is fierce. It's in, it infects everything that it touches, first your marriage, then your job, then your exercise, then your ministry. And if you keep feeding it, its appetite will start to look at your faith. Don't feed discouragement. If you find yourself discouraged, it's okay, say, We are going to encounter discouragement on the journey. But don't feed it. Don't give it a name. Don't let it sleep on the porch before long. Discouragement will move and become an inside pet and be begging for food from the table. Don't feed discouragement. Fight it. Oppose it. Recognize it. Be okay. Understand everyone struggles with discouragement, but be careful that you don't protect it. As if that is the way God meant for us to persevere. Is in a state perpetual state of discouragement, unwillingness to fight discouragement could potentially reveal that the root of the problem isn't really discouragement. Actually, what is deep down there in the heart is disguised as discouragement. This is ridiculous. I could do so much better. This is so discouraging. Well, is that discouragement or is that just pride? I could do so much better. This is so discouraging. Or no one gets it like me, no one tries as hard as I do, this is so discouraging. That's not discouragement, that's pride. That's pride using discouragement as camouflage to protect itself. Maybe there's simply down there below your discouragement, simply a love for comfort and laziness. I'm discouraged. It gives me a really good reason not to obey God. I'm discouraged. Discouragement is never a reason for disobedience. Test and see. Make sure that you actually are discouraged. Otherwise, when you apply the remedies for discouragement, you might be discouraged that the remedies for discouragement aren't working. Because that's not the problem to begin with. But there is plenty of discouragement to go around. There's plenty of discouragement, real discouragement. All around. It could be devastating. It could be so devastating. It could bring people to quit math class. Leave a marriage. Leave a church. Cut off a discipleship relationship. Leave a family. Even leave the faith. It's one thing when your body is aching. It's another thing when your soul is discouraged. Proverbs fifteen thirteen says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. If you're glad in your heart, it will make your face look happy. I don't really like this verse. It really constantly gives me away. I, I know better than to disagree with it. And here's how that tends to work at home. Colette will come to me and say, is something the matter? And I will say, no, I'm fine and she will look at me and say, I don't believe you. It's one thing to have that glad heart, make a cheerful face, but it's even, even worse. The sorrow of the heart. By the sorrow of the heart, the spirit is crushed. When your heart's glad, your face will shine, but when your heart is sorrowful, your own spirit is crushed. not just your face that's sad your spirit. Well, the challenge of discouragement is found in the purpose of the church from beginning to end. Discouragement will come and seek to slow down or redirect your efforts in your purposes of the gospel. It's going to happen. I'm sure that is happening in many today. Let's not feed it. Let's fight it. Remember Jesus' purpose. What we could potentially be discouraged from is not just simply a feeling of discouragement, but actually be discouraged from a purpose, a discouragement from a path. There are many purposes for which we might be distracted in life. But discouragement in the church is not only ultimately about how you feel, it's about the vitality and the direction of your heart toward the purposes of Jesus Christ. That's real discouragement for the Christian. My heart is discouraged about the purposes in Jesus. I mean, it's one thing to be discouraged about your, your, your football team or I know a lot of you guys are happy this week, I know. But to be discouraged about the mission of Jesus and the things of the church. Jesus commissioned His gospel His apostles like this in Acts chapter 1.8. He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the purpose of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is coming and He's going to empower you apostles and then, consequentially, the church for generations to spread the gospel to the nations that all of the church from all nations might come in and be saved. You might remember from the table of contents, or from the Book of Acts, that this is a kind of like the table of contents. the The gospel keeps going, going outward in the Book of Acts from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, in Rome, in Acts chapter twenty-seven and twenty-eight. When someone asks you, "Are you feeling discouraged today?" Your first instinct, either as a protection, because you don't want to talk about it, or because you just generally feel really well. You just generally feel good about life, you know? Your, your answer, are you discouraged today, might be, nah, no, I'm, I'm not discouraged. I feel good. I went on a run. and played golf. And, you know, I had, had steak last night, and, and Texas won. So I'm, feel, I'm feeling pretty good. feeling pretty good. But what if you were asked more specifically, how are you feeling about Jesus' authority and his commission to make a mature disciple? Are you encouraged about that? Are you encouraged in your efforts to that end? Are you encouraged about the purpose itself? Are you encouraged about teaching? Are you encouraged about visiting the sick? Are you encouraged about praying together? Are you encouraged about giving financially to support that purpose? Is there any detraction or state of discouragement about those things? Do you avoid them? Do you lack willingness or strength for evangelism. There might be discouragement there in that purpose. Saying that you feel generally encouraged but having low strength or will for the purpose of Jesus in the Spirit does not mean that you have Christ in the right place in your life. Totally disconcerned with the mission and telling people about Jesus and reading the Bible together with disciples to help them learn everything that Jesus has commanded. I'm totally disconcerned about that, but I'm generally feeling encouraged. That's not the encouragement that Christ intends for us to have. We just kind of cheaply use Jesus to make our consciences feel, get, feel, feel better and forget him. Forget the purpose. That's not how encouragement in the church is supposed to work. And that's often, as we talked about, the meaning of encouragement and the source of discouragement and how some of the remedies of encouragement can actually feel like they don't work. They don't do anything because the encouragement for the church is encouragement for the purpose of Jesus Christ, the encouragement for making and maturing disciples. And if your whole goal is to just have Jesus make me feel good, generally encouraged, but forget the purpose, you will find encouragement sources from Scripture and the church discouraging you even more because you're confused as to why they don't work. The purpose of Jesus Christ is for the church to tell other people about Jesus. The purpose of Jesus Christ for his church is to gather together and pray. The purpose of Jesus Christ is to make disciples by reading the Bible together. The purpose of Jesus Christ is to speak the truth to one another in love. The purpose of Jesus Christ is to forgive one another when they sin against you, remembering that God has forgiven you in Christ it takes encouragement to do these things. We need encouragement to keep practicing and caring about church membership and discipline. That could be discouraging. Where does encouragement come from? When we are in the slow of despondency, as it were, where does encouragement for the purpose of Christ come from? Where can we go get encouragement for those things and to that end when we are feeling discouraged about the purposes of Christ? We go to God's grace, we go to God's word, and we find encouragement in God's people. The church, to be encouraged in the purposes of Christ, will find encouragement in God's grace, find encouragement in God's word, find encouragement through God's people. First, go back to Acts chapter 15, verse 30 to 31. Find encouragement in grace. Again, this letter now being sent out back to Antioch with the news that we're not going to put on the burden of the law on you to be saved. No one can keep the burden of the law. Christ has kept the burden of the law. We are actually saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Look what it says, Acts 15, 30, 31. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together. Did you hear that? Look at the whole church together. Everyone come together. They delivered the letter. And when they read it, when the gathered church read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. What was in that letter. Grace. Grace. It was a letter to the church saying, you're saved by grace. You're saved by the grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the whole point of the Bible I want you to know, church. The whole direction of the Bible. Pointing toward Jesus Christ. It is what makes Christianity particularly unique in the world. That our way toward God, that our way to to peace with God, that our way to have all of our sins forgiven and absolved and atoned, is not through us trying harder and being better and making new laws so that we don't break the, the law of God like a Pharisee we, we can't do it, that we are saved because God is gracious because God is gracious despite what we deserve. That's how we are saved. That's how our relationship is made right when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never heard what the Bible is about today, if you're here today and you have no idea what Christianity is about, that's the difference. We cannot do enough good to pay for our own sin, but God has been gracious to us in putting Jesus on the cross to die as we deserve, that if we put our trust in Him, His death will wash away our sins. His blood will wash away our sins. And that's grace. That's the letter. That's the letter that they're reading. Grace is not just for saving, it's for strengthening. Grace alone saves us. But it doesn't only save us, it strengthens us. Grace is the air that we breathe as church, it's the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray. See how the letters begin in the New Testament over and over and over. They're always talking about grace in the New Testament, not just as a kind of quaint greeting, grace and peace to you, but grace is on the forefront of the author's minds in Scripture. Ephesians 1-2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I want you to hear from me. Peter says to the diaspora, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Paul begins, Colossians, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We're constantly using the language to remember that it is God who is gracious to us. To Philemon, Paul writes, the grace, he ends his letter, the grace to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit. Don't just know the grace. He ends his letter to Philemon. May the grace be with your spirit. Consider the end of the entire Bible, Revelation 22 21, the very last words in all of the recorded scripture. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. As an encouragement to the persecuted church reading the book of Revelation, the last word is grace. 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 It's our anthem. It's our song. It's our doctrine. It's our fellowship. It's our encouragement. When we are discouraged. When you remember I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It's encouraging. That's encouraging. So when Timothy is a pastor. And he's young. And he's tired. And he's. Facing a slew of false teachers in the church, Paul tells Timothy, explaining the gospel to him, You then, my child, be strengthened by grace. You're hearing a lot of things out there, Timothy. You be strengthened, propped up, held up, firmed up by grace that is in Jesus Christ. When the Hebrews are being persecuted and growing faint in the book of Hebrews... And they're thinking about turning away from Jesus and thinking about going back to Judaism where things are easier and less costly. Hebrews 13 verse 9 says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It's so good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. You're wanting to go back and get comfort food, so to speak, in the Hebrew ceremonies. It's not good. It doesn't do anything for you. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace saves and it strengthens. Talk about grace. Pray grace. Sing grace. As you read the Bible, pay particular attention to grace, not only for your doctrinal purity, but for the encouragement. Of your heart if you are discouraged today church we just encourage you to go back and revisit grace think about grace this afternoon read about it in scripture and be encouraged we're encouraged to the purposes of Jesus Christ by his grace we are purpo- we are encouraged in the purposes of Christ by God's Word by God's word you' Christian have you been encouraged By the promises in God's word. Judas and Silas were themselves prophets. Encouraged and strengthened. They encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Them being prophets. Many of them were speaking God's words A word from God to them. Do you know the word of God? Do you know the promises of God? Let me just ask you. Could you name a promise? Could you name five promises? Could you just. Dwell on three promises this afternoon. If you are locked in a dungeon of doubt and despair, could you pull out one key promise in your mind and be encouraged by it? The world is offering all kinds, all kinds of tricks and medicines and, meso- and methods for feeling up, for, for feeling good, for, for that feeling of, of being en- encouraged. One song I heard recently, I think recent, recently, I think summarizes our times and how sometimes even Christians are looking for help outside of God himself. The song says, the better part of my 20s were spent writing songs about God on a Prozac prescription. Doesn't that seem odd? Because I believe in a gospel and a God who is good, but these chemicals, they don't always work like they should. The world has many tricks and methods to try to make us feel up. There's no replacement for God's word to us. Listen very carefully. Here's, here's my disclaimer. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. If anyone here has been prescribed medicine for their doctor, you should not hear this song and think, well, if I'm a good Christian, I'm going to go get off my medicine tomorrow. Absolutely do not do that. You may go talk to your doctor about your options, but that's between you and your, your doctor. I'm not a doctor. But I can say this, there is increasingly an instinct in our culture, and Western churches in particular, that if I'm down, like I'm low, if I'm having a bad day, then there ought to be a quick fix. There ought to be a quick fix. There should be. There must be. It's 2023. There's got to be a quick fix out there. It could be a pill. It could be anything. Not just for headaches, not just for physical ailments, but for emotional and personal distress. Again, my goal is not to say medicine is bad and God is good. Not my point. Don't hear anything like that. Not to say therapy is good and the Bi- or therapy is bad and the Bible is good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the Bible and God's promises are there to encourage. They're there to encourage you. Lift your spirits to strengthen you, to prop you up, to, to, weaken, to, to strengthen weak knees. As mature Christians, as we mature as Christians, our disposition will increasingly be to go to God's Word for encouragement rather than the things of the world and its many shapes and forms and pleasures and offerings. Psalm 119 verse 28 gives us words to pray my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Get me out of my sorrow by giving me your word. Let me hear from you, God. The promises of God are encouragement for saints. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, or listen and look later. Verse Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. I just want you to see an example of how Paul intends for the church in Thessalonica, writing back to one of those churches that he visits in Acts, writes back to them in order to encourage them. And what does he do? He gives them doctrine, the word, truth about Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1, or chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, he's wrapping up his discussion about whether or not Jesus is going to return when and how. And he says, for the Lord himself will descend, that's Jesus, from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, then we who are alive, who are are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Now, you might look at this and think, well, well, we don't really need to bother with this stuff. This is the kind of that stuff that everyone disagrees about. This is the kind of that stuff everyone has all these arguments about. This is one of those doctrines we'll never really get answers. You know, don't, don't get into the debate. Just move on to the simple things. But here's what Paul says to the church, and we're missing something when we do that with doctrine. We do that with all of God's word or any of God's word. Paul says in the next verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. You take God's word, you hear it, and you encourage each other with it. You read it, you speak it, you discuss it. You pray it. You, you meditate on it together. You just talk about it. You apply it to your life. Encourage one another with the truth of Jesus' return, for example. Are you discouraged? You might think, I need some ice cream. You might think, I need to go play golf. I need exercise. Those things might be really good for you. And there are certainly mercies of the Lord in many senses. But as you mature as a Christian, your disposition should be growing increasingly quicker to want to hear God's Word when you're discouraged. It's one of the things that it is meant to do. Not just educate, but encourage. You might read something that you already know. You've already read many times. Many times. You read it again, you know it, and maybe you don't even learn anything new this time, but you do go from discouraged to encouraged this time. That's what God's Word is for, in part to encourage us. John Bunyan wrote the account of Christian and his companion named Hopeful in 1678. The allegory in Pilgrim's Progress is obvious. not hard to, to see or perceive, yet it's profound. Christian, the main character's name, is on the king's highway to the celestial city, heaven. Along the way, he encounters Giant Despair, a character. That character lives in Doubting Castle. Along the way, Christian has to go up Difficulty Hill, and he must travel through the town of Vanity Fair. It was something in a book before it was a magazine. In Doubting Castle, the Giant Despair takes Christian and hopeful and beats them and throws them into a prison, feeds them poison and goes back to his room and talks with his wife, a diffident, to try to decide what they're going to do with the Christians tomorrow, hoping that they had drunk the poison and would be dead when they got there. Trapped, quoting Job, considering how death would be better than their misery, this is what John Bunyan wrote about Christian. Well, on Saturday, about midnight, they, Christian and hopeful, they began to pray. And they continued in prayer till almost the break of day. Now, a little before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, broke out in passionate speech And he said, what a fool am I to lie here in this stinking dungeon when I could walk away at liberty. Christian says, for I have in my bosom right here called promise a key. A key called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any locked door in doubting castle. Then said, Hopeful, that is good news, good brother. Pluck it out of your bosom and let's try. Then Christian pulled it out and he began to try at the dungeon door whose bolt, as he turned the key, gave back. And the door flew open with ease. And Christian and Hopeful both came out. Then he went out the outward door that leads into the castle yard. And with his key, he opened that door also blocked in Doubting Castle by giant despair, Christian remembers, I have the key to get out of here. And it is the promises of God. It is the Word of God that brings me out of despair into encouragement. that frees me from the prison of discouragement. How long we lay trapped in discouragement because we have forgotten that we have the key. And it is in God's Word. It is in God's grace, it is in God's word, and it is in God's people. Encouragement for the purposes of Christ, to make mature disciples, lastly, is in God's people. And after some days, Paul said, as we read, Paul said, let us return, let's go back to the churches and visit the brothers in every city where we already proclaimed the word of God, and let's see how they are. This is encouragement on the mission field to make mature disciples for joy and glory, to go back and see how they are. Today, if we want to see how someone is, we might just think of texting for that information, a quick text. I've grown increasingly uh, less excited about texting over the years. A quick informational debate. How are you doing? Oh, this is how I'm doing. Paul, though, when he wants to see how they're doing, he launches into years Long journey that spans hundreds of miles through desert and weather to see how they are. Paul also directed others to move around Asia for the sake of encouragement. He says in Ephesians 6, 21 through 22, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. He was in prison. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, he's going to tell you everything. He's just going to come tell you how we're doing. Verse 22 in chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are doing and that he may encourage your hearts. I'm sending Tychicus. He's coming all the way to Ephesus. He's going to tell you how we're doing and he's just going to encourage you. Church in Ephesus. I read a really interesting article this week. I have probably mentioned it every day, so I've seen you this week. You've probably heard this. It's an article in the online news journal called The Atlantic, and the title of the article is called "I Was Wrong About Trigger Warnings." I, I just think that would should pique everyone's interest. I was wrong about trigger warnings. It's not written by a Christian. It's not written from the Bible. It's actually written by a, a, a feminist named Jill Filipovic. She earned her degree in journalism and politics and a minor in gender and sexuality from New York University. She'd been a journalist for going on 20 years. It's not a Christian article, for sure. Now, certainly piqued my interest. I was wrong about trigger warnings. She writes that back in the mid-2010s, she was part of the trigger warning movement. Y'all hang with me. I'm going somewhere. Which meant before you are going to address something in person or in writing or in video that you need to offer a trigger warning. If you're going to talk about politics or abuse or, or eating, you need to offer a trigger warning. So you read an article, and an article will have a title, and it will say, by someone, that it will say, trigger warning, this article contains discussions about this material. It's a kind gesture, surely. And I just happen to think myself that triggers are, are good. I think they're used in the Bible. They can be really good. Uh, I, for one, get triggered all the time. The point in Jill Filipovic in in her article is that she helped create this culture herself that that became so strong that in 2013 Slate.com labeled 2013 the year of trigger warning. Jill says when this began, the warnings quickly multiplied. When I wrote that a piece of conservative, about a piece of Conservative legislation, and I I said that that legislation was so awful it made me want to vomit. She says one commenter wrote and asked for an an eating disorder trigger warning. And all this to say, Jill now thinks that she's wrong. She's come back herself 10 years later, again, not a Christian, 10 years later to say trigger warnings were not helping. They're not helping. She helped found the trigger warning movement, and now she says it's not helping. Here is what she is finding is the solution. She's finding that as we increase the trigger warning use, we are actually decreasing resilience to face any part in the world. And here is her answer. Here, I have, this one's so interesting. Here is her answer for what we ought to do instead. What we need to do in 2023 going forward on this side of the trigger warning movement. We need to repair Repair broken community ties so that fewer among us feel like they're struggling alone. Her whole point, her whole article is, we don't need to give people trigger warnings so that they can deal with it on their own. We need to repair community ties. And we need to encourage the cultivation of a sense of, listen to this. We need to encourage this cultivation of a sense, she says, of purpose, Beyond the self, couldn't be more profound. We also know what stands in the way of resilience, she says avoiding difficult ideas and imperfect people, catastrophizing and isolating ourselves inside our own heads. I agree. And it's not surprising that after helping create a culture that caters to you in your isolation from anything that's hard, you come back ten years later and say, we actually need to do this together. Not surprising. But I think sometimes it is surprising to the world, and even sometimes to Christians. I was talking to a brother this week. He said one Christian that he knows in his workplace actually should was suggesting the idea or wondering if there was a way that Christians could kind of form an organization together to where they could get together and be together and encourage one another. I mean, I love a good sarcasm moment. I could barely, could barely hold it. You mean like if there was a meeting every week? Same time, same place, free, and you just get together and you just sing and you just read and, and you pray together and then you stick around and talk, and then maybe you go to lunch with some of those people. Like it's novel, but it's just an idea. We need we need one another for encouragement. Need one another for encouragement. The world picks up on this in their own in some ways. This is God's plan from the beginning for God's people to be encouraged by God's people, by one another. Oh, how I have been encouraged by brothers and sisters this week alone. On Tuesday evening, a group of men just listened to me cry. Thursday morning, read the Bible with a brother. We talked about our marriages. We applied what we were reading to our lives. And we laughed. We made fun of each other and the world and drivers. Traffic. Lunch with other different brothers this week, talking about difficulties in their lives. By chance I had a meeting with a sister in the foyer, just by God's providence, to hear some of her troubles. I was sitting in the office on Thursday getting ready to leave and I was going back and forth between getting some more work done and going home early or waiting, and I think I should go. Maybe I'll just get some more things done and come early tomorrow, and I just decided to get up and go, and I just happened to meet a sister in the foyer, and we talked and prayed. Phone call with another brother trying to navigate evangelism. A brother changing our our normal weekly meeting agenda just to ask me how I was doing and listen to me and encourage me. That's just since last Sunday. I don't know what I would do without this encouragement. I don't know how people do it. I really don't. A lot of the trouble and sorrow, suicidal states, quitting the discouragement, it makes sense to me. When people don't have those things. When people don't have those brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging toward the purposes of God and Christ together, This is why our varying levels of fellowship are so important. Important. Encouragement is wrapped up in all of our visiting together. You don't have to have Bible studies about encouragement to be encouraged. You have Bible studies about anything. When you meet together with a brother or sister and you you read through the Bible together and you pray and you share and you listen, your mood, your tone, yourself is strengthened. And strengthened not just to feel better, but actually strengthened back to the purpose to go be a, a husband, to go be a wife to go be a deacon, to go be an elder, to go preach, to go share the gospel at work, to go back to your life group even though it's been hard. Encouragement is in all of those things that we are doing together when we come to see one another and see how we are doing and encourage one another with the grace and the word of God. In my late 20s, I started going to see a chiropractor starting to have pretty bad back pain. And I was... uh, Uh, That was, I'd say, 27, 26, 27, something like that. And the doctor took uh, one look at my X-ray and said, "You have the back of a 40-year-old." And uh, now I actually have the back of a 40-year-old. He wanted me to start coming see him. Come see him every two weeks. And so I said, "Sure, I'll come see you every two weeks," and uh, or no, two times a week. Excuse me. I thought that was a little much at first. (laughs) But every time I went to the chiropractor, he did the exact same thing. You now the first time we did some stuff, he showed me how bad my back was, first of all. Convinced me to keep coming back. And every time we got there, I laid on the table in the same position. He wrapped his arm around me and he cracked something. And he would twist me around again, put it on, and then he would crack something. He just cracked two or three things. Send me out. Twice a week. There was a time when I was thinking, I think he just enjoys this. I don't even know if it's doing anything for me. You know, I think he just likes the sound. He gets paid to make that sound. But I just kept going and I kept going. And I eventually discovered I, I had grown an inch in about five weeks. Kind of like the Grinch's heart, but it was my back. I just, and I, was, I, I wasn't I was walking like this anymore. Now I was walking around like this, standing up. I, I couldn't see when it was happening, but it was just, it kept changing and shifting my back that was stronger and stronger and stronger. And this is how Christian encouragement works when we visit one another and pray together. Sometimes you don't leave a life group going, well, that was encouraging. Sometimes it could be a source of discouragement. You go back to the chiropractor. You go back to your small group. Because one of the ways, one of the primary ways God's encouraging the church is by Paul saying, let's go visit them and see how they're doing. One of the ways we do that is get together every single week here. How are you doing? How are you doing in the purposes of Christ? How are you doing for Christ in your marriage? How are you doing for Christ at your workplace? And we remind one another, every time we get together, what do we do? We remind one another of God's grace, which strengthens us. We remind one another of God's word, which encourages us. Discouragement is inevitable, encouragement is available. and God's grace in His word and in His people. If there's any encouragement in Christ, Paul says. Any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Oh, well, there is encouragement in Christ, in His grace, and in His Word, through His people. Let's pray.